This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we're in the midst of a, well, this is the third of three parts to the scandal of the gospel teaching from Michael, a recording from the Biblical Imagination Conference. Mike, we're going to go back to that teaching here today and, uh, and wrap that up. Okay. It's been a long series, but a good one. It sure has. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And, of course, you've written on these topics as well and continue to write on the life of Jesus. Uh, I'm actually working on, I don't know, maybe this may be the last book I ever write, but I'm looking at all of the details of the life of Jesus. What languages does he speak? How long does it take from one to walk from one place to the other? I am wearing it out, Wayne. <laughs> Now, why would you say it's the last book you're ever going to read? Uh, I think 28 is enough. At some point, it, it becomes enough. Somehow, I don't think it's going to be the last one. <laughs> I, I, I don't think anyone is going to agree with you on that yeah. one, Michael. Uh, so we're going to go to that teaching as recorded in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, back yeah. in 2019. That's coming up in just a moment from the Biblical Imagination Conference. But I'm going to ask you to sing a song here. This was recorded in the studio uh, a few years ago. Talitha Kumi. Now, is that title Aramaic? What is that? Yeah, it's a, it's supposed to be Aramaic, but one of the things I've been studying in, in terms of the languages Jesus speaks, um, the, the 90% position is he speaks three languages. He speaks Greek. When he talks to Pilate, he's speaking Greek. When he talks to the Syrophoenician woman, that's Greek. Uh, he speaks Hebrew in the synagogue, and then everybody speaks Aramaic. But uh, as soon as you try to say one thing, Wayne, there's somebody that disagrees, and uh, I just finished, you know from experience, yeah, right? absolutely. And I just uh, there's a this new idea also that he speaks Hebrew with a Galilean accent. There's certain syllables that he can't pronounce, and uh, and so sometimes maybe we say he's speaking Aramaic, but he may be speaking uh, Hebrew with a Galilean accent. It's it gets it gets okay. very confusing. Okay, we're going to hear the song now, but how, translate the title for me. What does it mean? Uh, it means little girl, or l- literally it means little lamb. Uh, little lamb, get up. Okay. The song now, and then the teaching from Michael. In the second half of the program, a great uh, time of music and conversation with our friend John Ketchings from the archive. That's coming up on In the Studio with Michael Card. Here's the song. I saw Father was frightened as he looked down at me. And though my eyes were closed, still I could see The confusion and fear he failed to hide with a smile As he wondered if he might lose his one and only child And so all at once he left and desperately ran in search of the one who might touch me with healing hands Talitha Kumi he spoke like a song though lifeless and cold at once I became strong Talitha Kumi He spoke with a smile As he handed my father back His only child Healing hands were touching my brow I made the long journey back Though I don't know how His face, the first I saw, the first words that I heard The warmth of his healing hands, the sound of his healing words Talitha Kumi, spoken soft in my ear Though I was so far away, somehow I could hear had made me deaf I heard with my heart and followed those healing words and walked away from the dark Well, let's talk a little bit about, just quickly about miracles. 
don't be offended by this term, but I refer to them as the unmiraculous miracles of Jesus. And this is something you already know. You already know this. I'm just going to put in a different, I'm going to put different words to it, but this is self-evident truth. Um, Jesus does pretty good miracles. He raising somebody from the dead, not too shabby, right? Not too shabby. But my point is, how does he do his miracles? And I, I, I suggest to you, he does them in unmiraculous ways. Often, he does them in such unmiraculous ways that people don't know a miracle happened, right? No lightning bolts from his fingertips, right? No, huh, be healed. That's not how he does it, right? There are two exceptions in the Gospel of Mark. There are two out of, uh, out of the ordinary miracles that he does where he yells and sticks his fingers in somebody's ears, and, but they, there's a completely different reason. We don't have time to look at those. Uh, but by and large, when Jesus does a miracle, uh, he does them in uh, very unmiraculous ways. And, and the reason, I think, for that is Jesus knows that he's not his gift. He knows he's not his gift, right? If you see people, sometimes you see people that are very gifted and they think they are their gift, right? Jesus is not one of those people. When he does a miracle, he always points away from himself, and if you'll notice, with one exception, there's one exception. When Jesus does a miracle, people praise God. The only exception is when he calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples worship him. And you can understand why. I mean, they just almost died, so they worship him, right? Uh, but otherwise, uh, people will praise God when he does a miracle. And Jesus will say things like, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. Okay. He, he, that's his, and I don't know, I still don't know how he does it, whether it's his posture or his expression, uh, but that's, that is the nature of his miracles. And what I want to do is look, look at some of them. Um, the centurion slave, the one we just looked at is a good example. Uh, he's not even there. Frequently, Jesus will do a miracle in like 512, um, and he'll tell people, don't tell anybody I did that. Okay, this was the, 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 there was a theory brought up, uh, German theologians came up with the messianic secret, that somehow Jesus was trying to keep his messiahship a secret. But I think he's trying to keep a lid on things. He doesn't keep it a secret. He just doesn't want it to be known that he's the messiah until he can let them understand what it means to be the messiah. Because they think what it means to be the messiah is to come and conquer Rome, go kill all the Romans. Do you think they ever, ever thought that Jesus would die for the Romans? Get, wrap your mind around that one if you're one of the 12. No, he's going to die for the guys who crucified him. That make, he shouldn't do that. That makes no sense. Yeah. Do you think John the Baptist also got that? No, I don't think any of them got it. Why? Why do you ask the question? Well, you had mentioned that the, the statement that he sent the two people to talk to him, asked him, are you the one? Uh-huh. Maybe he was expecting something else. Oh, def oh, absolutely, he was expecting. The great warrior to come in and. That's what they're all expecting. Yeah. Because that's what the Pharisees had taught them to expect. I mean, there there's a range of messianic expectations, but no one was looking for the Messiah until the Pharisaic movement started. The priests aren't interested in the Messiah. Right? That's not part of our that's not part of our thing. Sadducees don't care about the Messiah. Pharisees are very interested in the Messiah. And and again, you see those expectations still in his people. Are you going to re restore the kingdom to Israel now? Because that that's what the Messiah does. See, the Messiah kills the Romans. The Messiah doesn't die for the Romans. That makes no sense. Right? And and they're trying to get their wrap their minds around it. And so I think. Uh, and again, if you look at, at the history of, because there are other people who pretend to be messiahs, who think they're messiahs, look at how the Romans deal with those people. They kill all their followers, right? And they kill the person who says they're messiah. Um, and Jesus is trying to keep a lid on it, so he'll heal someone else, say, please don't tell anybody I did that. Now, here's the other question. Do, anybody, do they ever obey him? No. They go tell. And what happens so many, it says this twice in Mark, so many people are coming going that they don't even have a chance to eat. See, 
So the Messiah is the, is the kind of the sugar daddy who heals people and does all these things. So he's covered up with people who just want his gifts and they don't want him. And Jesus, no, he, he, he has come to give himself. He hasn't come to give him. In fact, doing miracles works against him most of the time. But he's a loving person. If he can heal someone who's blind, you think he's not going to do that because it works against him? No, he'll do it even if it costs him, right? Because that's the kind of person he is. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, so we have this messianic secret business. Please don't tell, uh, tell me. And, and there's no showmanship in his miracles with two examples, with two exceptions. Uh, stretch out your hand, you know. And again, he doesn't even have to be there for a miracle uh, to happen. Let's look at um, nine, uh, chapter 9, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there are um, scholars who say this isn't a miracle. And the reason is there is no miraculous language. There's no miracle language in, in either of the, the four of the 5,000. So let's look at those. So what they say is, oh, the little boy gave an example of being uh, generous, and everyone followed his example. All 20,000 people followed his example. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give, yeah, I got a PhD for that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Watch, let, let's look at this. It's uh, 9-10. Uh, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus uh, what they had done. Then he took them uh, with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called uh, Bethsaida. In Mark 6, he goes, come with me to a quiet place and let's get some rest. They're exhausted. Okay? So they're going to get away from the crowd. Okay? When they get there, it never works. If you've ever seen the Sea of Galilee, it's not a sea, it's a lake. Okay, not very big, seven miles one way and 11 miles another way. And Jesus, as far as we know, was only in the northern tip of the lake. He didn't go to the south. He didn't go to Tiberias, which is down in the south. He crisscrosses the northern tip of the lake. And it's so small, if I'm standing on the shore, you can always see a boat that's on the lake. So getting away from them in a boat never works. What, what do I do? I walk around the shore, and I'm waiting for you when you get there. And that's what happens in the Gospels. Come with me to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. They go across the lake, and there's like 10,000 people. And you start to understand, okay, this is why it's been saying, please don't tell anybody I did that. Right? Because are these people interested in his kingdom, in his messiahship? No. Right? Okay. So, um, uh, but the crowds learned about it. There it is. And followed him. He welcomed them. Because he's not like you and me. You're right. I would have said, could, could you just give me 10 minutes? Right? No. He welcomed them and spoke about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. Uh, he replied, you give them something to eat with a little twinkle in his eye. Now, if you haven't written anything down, write this down. This is Bill Lane. This is a quote from Bill Lane. You should always work at the level of your own inadequacy. You should always work at the level of your own inadequacy. Bill used to say, don't just do what you're good at. Anybody can do that. He would say, you should always be right on the edge so that the Lord doesn't show up to help you will fail miserably. Isn't that good? Yeah. You should always work at the level of your own inadequacy. Right on the edge. So if the Lord doesn't show up to help you, you will fail miserably. But, but what we do, we develop our areas of expertise, right? I'm, I'm only, well, usually I only play the songs I know. I don't play the songs I haven't practiced. See, that, that'd be stupid, wouldn't it? That'd be crazy. Well, I did that last night and didn't, <laughs> didn't work out so well, but uh, yeah. And, and this story is an example of that. You give them something to eat. Um, they answered, uh, we have only five loaves of bread and two, the little sardine type fish, two little fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there, and you know the math with women and children, it's like 20,000. And in, in John 6, we learn that they had stolen those from some little kid. 
the boy had the bread. They took those from him. You know, okay. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Did you miss it? That was the miracle. How does he multiply the loaves? He says the blessing. Blessed art thou, eternal God our Father, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. That's the Jewish, you know, blessing. No lightning bolts from his fingertips. I'm convinced that the people in the back didn't even know that there's no... Where'd this bread come from? There's no, mir- there's no miracle language in either of these stories. I'm not saying it wasn't a great miracle. I'm saying it was an unmiraculous miracle because that's how he does it. And that tells us a lot about him as a person. Because, get this, this is how he still does miracles. We want lightning bolts from the fingertips, right? And the, the TV evangelists who can make that happen, we love those guys, Right? We send them all our money. That's not how, I know, I, I'm, making, I'm, 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 I'm prodding you. Um, but that's not how he does miracles. They're great miracles. To take a life and change the life, I mean, maybe we have testimonies here of, of a life that's been changed. And the things he does are unbelievable. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. Almost got personal. Let's not, let's, let's not do that. So he says the blessing. Uh, gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Here's the real miracle, by the way. And they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. That, that's actually the real miracle. Um, let me explain it to you. Um, there, there are two different words that are used consistently through all the telling of all these stories in the Gospels. There's always two different words that are used for the baskets. So the point of this whole miracle is the baskets that they pick up afterwards. Okay? This word uh, for basket is kofanos. Kofanos is a lunch pail. It's a little round basket that's this big. You put a string through it, and you run around your shoulder, and you have your lunch in there. Okay? Kofanos, kofanoi is the, is the plural. So 20,000 people have eat, eaten. They pick up the leftovers, and they're only 12 little basketfuls. That's perfect provision. How many disciples are there? 12 disciples. Okay. Uh, the first time I ever went to Israel, I was making a video with our daily bread people. And uh, our deal was they didn't, they didn't pay me to do that because I get videos, I sell them on the road. I'm, I'm repaid. I mean, I'm not a nice person. I wasn't doing it for free. I get money other ways, okay? But I wasn't getting paid for my time there. And I'd been there like 10 days. So my wife calls, and uh, we live... At that point, we lived in the country, and our well broke. We've got three toddlers. And my wife is like, the, the well's broke. They came and look at it. It's $1,200. They got to bring a, cane, a crane and pull it and replace this beautiful stainless steel pump that goes at the bottom of the well. Beautiful thing. And, uh, and she says, and we don't have $1,200. And of course, I'm in the Jerusalem Hilton. You know, I'm waiting for my sea, seaweed wrap. You know, room, room service will be coming in a minute, you know. So I said, well, all we, can, all we can do is pray, right? That's all we can do is pray. So we prayed, Lord, you know, we, we need this. And as I am putting the phone back on the cradle, there's a knock on the door. And it's Fred Hollis, who's the producer of these, this video series. And he says, you know, you've been here 10 days. We feel kind of bad. I call back. I talk to the people. And we're going to pay. We feel like we should pay you something. So he hands me a check for $1,200. That... That is perfect provision, okay? And that's what this is, 12 basketballs, perfect provision. Now, if it had been 12 million, I wouldn't be here right now, (laughs) right? I would be morbidly obese sitting in front of a big screen TV channel surfing because that's the sort of person I am, okay? But no, it's perfect provision. And how, how remarkable, it's more remarkable, that the God of the universe knew that back in Franklin, Tennessee, this young mother needed a well, and he provides $1,200? I mean, you know, he's, this is the guy that's keeping the planets in orbit, right? 
Okay, so that's the nature of this miracle, is perfect provision. Now, if we look at the feeding of the 4,000, which happens later, it's virtually the same, right? The details are virtually the same. It's, you know, it's impossible. There's all these people. And Jesus, same thing. No miracle language. He says the blessing. They pass out the food. But they pick up seven spheroi, seven man-sized baskets. It's the same word that's used for the basket when they let Paul over the wall. It's a basket that's big enough to hold a man. And some translations will catch it and call it, say, seven large baskets. Okay. Um, and so they pick up, you know, again, there's eight, 10,000 people. They pick up seven man-sized baskets. That's abundance. Whole bunch of leftovers after that, right? So you see how those are two completely different miracles, but very unmiraculous. Very unmiraculous. Um, look at, there's got to be, so let's look at some more. Um, uh, the 10 lepers that are healed. Uh, Jesus says, you know, again, and, and again, it's harder to heal a leper than it is to raise the dead in their mind. So he says, go, go show yourselves. And as they're going, they're healed. No miracle at all. And right, only one of them comes back. And lo and behold, he's a bad guy. He's a Samaritan. Um, of all the unmiraculous miracles, the, the greatest one is the cross. There's no miracle. He dies. I know, he's, I know he's raised three days later, but the miracle, the miracle of the cross was that there was no miracle. The, the angels don't come at the last minute and save him. He dies. So, yeah, the, the miracle of the cross was that there was no miracle. Now, the miracle behind the cross is the resurrection. There's always a miracle behind the miracle, okay? Uh, this is not in Luke, it's in John, but the very first miracle he does, Cana. How, it doesn't get more unmiraculous than that, right? What does he do? Tells the slaves, fill those up, now take it over there. Did you miss it? The miracle happened. And John says, only the slaves knew a miracle had happened. That's his first miracle. And John says, and this is how he showed his glory. He shows his glory in unmiraculous ways. And I, I, it, this is really important. If you don't get this, you don't get him. You don't get him. Yeah. Okay. I mean, is this not cool stuff, though? I mean, I just feel like I, I, I read these things and go, I never would have expected that. If it's what you expected, you're probably wrong. Right? But it, you read this and you go, no. No one does it that way. Right? It should be lightning bolts from his fingertips. What's wrong with Jesus? Why did he do it that way? Who does miracles like that? Jesus does miracles like that. And you know, he's walking on the water. I think this explains that one little detail that's always bugged me. And he was about to pass by them. Right? He's about to pass by. He's just going to the other side. It's very unmiraculous. And they go, hey, help. You know, he's just walking across the lake because this is what I do. I'm Jesus. <laughs> Sea of Galilee, fighting through the storm, all alone and so afraid, and wishing I was home, and wishing I was home. Thunder rolling, lightning crash, waves are rolling high, thinking about my wife at home, and so afraid to die. I'm so afraid to die. Jesus, you can see me, you know right where I am. Only you can say. For I'm a sinful man Looked out through the raging storm And what do my eyes see? But Jesus walking on the waves And calling out to me And calling out to me Can't you see it's only me? Don't you be afraid Come on Peter, walk to me Step out upon the wave Step out upon the wave Jesus, you can see me You know right where I am Only you can save me For I'm a sinful man Jesus, you can see me 
on the raging wave and kept my eyes on him. But every time I looked away, I started sinking in. I started sinking in. Just as I was losing hope, Jesus took my hand. Tell me, Peter, where's your faith? You know I'll help you stand. Only I can help you stand. Jesus, you can see me. You know right where I am. Only you can save me. For I'm a sinful man. Walk on the water. I know what I want to say, Michael, but you won't let me say it, will you? Don't you dare say yeehaw. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I won't, but but you can't stop me from thinking it. <laughs> uh, that was uh, Michael on the banjo, of course, with uh, Pat Flynn on the guitar. Yes, gosh, what a great player. Yeah, well, that was yes, fun. And, and a sweet guy, too. He loves the Lord. Yeah, walk on the water. And, um, of course, just prior to that, you wrapped up the, uh, the series that we've had here. Now, this is the third and final week for the Biblical Imagination Conference uh, segment on um, the scandal of belief here, the scandal of the gospel. So thanks for that. How can people go further in this study? What would your suggestion be? Well, you know, the, the, the whole basic method is how do I listen? How do I really listen to the Gospels, uh, listen to the voice of the author? Luke has a very distinctive voice. Um, listen for uh, themes that Luke is interested in. He likes to pair his witnesses. He's the only Gospel that does that. As a companion of Paul, he's very interested in the Gospel going out to the Gentiles. I mean, you you, you listen with those kinds of ideas, and they, they keep being uh, reaffirmed in every chapter. Uh, but he he uh, has a unique way of looking at the life of Jesus. Well, thanks for this teaching series, Michael. And of course, it's in the archive. You can go back and re-listen to it anytime here on the program in the studio with Michael Card. And could you help us get the word out about this program by posting a review? Your opinion matters, and we'd appreciate your feedback to get the word out about what you found and invite a friend to subscribe. Accessing the podcast is easy on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify when you search for Michael Card. You can extend the impact of the teaching you've heard from Michael. Check out his insights through his weekly blog, his books, his music, and Bible conferences. Explore all that's waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Coming up, our friend John Catchings in the studio. As for a classic edition of In the Studio with Michael Card, we'll open up the program archives and present a session recorded at the Mole End Studio. The Bible teaching, guest conversations, and studio music performances are some of the most inspiring times when we gathered in Franklin, Tennessee. The instruments are tuned, the Bible is open, so make sure you join us. Look for the post and invite other like minds to hear the podcast. All the details at michaelcard.com. Back in the studio with Michael Card. This whole half of the program now is going to be a concert of sorts here with our friend John Ketchy. We have we'll have a special guest. I was gonna I was gonna kind of make him wait for it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we have John Ketchings with us, which is a real privilege to have you back, John. Thank you, Mike. Thanks it's good to coming. be back with you and Wayne and your audience. A little bit of culture here. John brings his cello into the studio, and things immediately uh, get better, don't they? That's right. They do. They do. Thanks, Michael, guys. you're holding the banjo. Does that mean you're going to play the banjo with John? No, it means I'm going to try to play the banjo with John. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what happens here in the studio with Mike Card and John Catchings. I understand you're going to do What Wondrous Love Is This, guys? Thank mm-hmm. you. 
is such a nice sound. What a what a rich sound to that cello, John. That uh, that's quite an instrument you've got there. Well, it likes to be uh, easily touched because the uh, a lot of instruments are very resistant. But this one, if if you draw easy on it, you know, it has a pretty reasonable sound for a for an instrument that's of dubious uh, heritage. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should pursue that up, but I'm not sure I want to, Michael. <laughs> well, it's not a Stradivarius. Oh yes, that's for sure. Yeah. and uh, it actually is a, probably a Bohemian cello from Czechoslovakia, or maybe close to the German border from about 80 years ago. Oh, I didn't know it was that old. I'd say about that, 75, 80 years, and it was... Um, you didn't see Beethoven's signature so, on no. it there, Michael? So you couldn't afford a newer cello than that? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and it was actually uh, asleep, I think, headed for the uh, spare parts pile on a dealer's uh, wow. back shelf, and I, I picked it up, and I said, you know, let me, let me just do that, and I said, yeah, I like the sound, hmm. and it's good for close micing. It works, hmm. works very well, yeah. so I'm happy with it. That cello's it, been on a lot of records. It has been yeah. on thousands. Yeah. Does it sound better with all those signatures and? It doesn't sound any worse. Autographs all over it. <laughs> now explain explain that for those who can't see it. We should put a photo of this on the website. We at could some do point. that. Yeah. Well, it's it's for a number of years. Um, I let people sign the the top and the sides of the cello because I didn't know if I'd ever record with these people again because life changes. They they stop recording or stop the career or whatever. And so I've got some people on here that were kind of significant to me, like Mickey Newberry, who has now passed away. Mm. Dwayne Eddy signed this. Wow. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Seeger. You know, I, I mean, people from rock and roll, people from jazz, people from all walks of musical life. So it's been kind of fun. It's like a, a walking scrapbook for me. I see Charlie Daniels from this Charlie side. Daniels, yeah. yeah. And Billy Bob Thornton, because we did some movie music with him here in Nashville. <laughs> Amazing. It's great fun. You make your living as a, a studio session player in Nashville. Uh, yes, I sure do. And, You've been there uh, for a long time? Long time. And you yeah. get to hang out with people like Mike Card once in a while. Yeah, so oh. there, is some, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> we were on the road together for years and years. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. Long time. During the, har- the hardest part of touring, when we were touring in a van and cars and flying everywhere, John put up with the worst of it. Yeah, two two seats in a van with mm. an open back end with a beanbag chair in the back. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. and, and I confess and apologize. I was, a complete, I was a complete idiot. John would say, you know, do we have to eat at McDonald's again? I go, oh, you're just being a sissy. Now, you know, the, well, the older I got, the go, I, I realized. Well, I figured if you, if you took <laughs> yourself idiot. out, I would be right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. I look back on those years, and I regret that I wasn't more sensitive. Oh, stories, 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 stories. They were you guys fun. They were fun. Hey, let's keep the music going here. Uh, John, you want to do something from the CD, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about later. This is Amazing Grace. Yes. John Ketchings in the studio. John, hearing you play that with uh, such uh, feeling sensitivity, do you, do you ever meditate as you play the cello? Uh, uh, all the time. When I when I record, my favorite time to record is when it's uh, night, and then I have a, a single stand light on the stand, and I have a uh, remote 
thing that I can record with so when I'm doing tracks for clients. And then I can just kind of sit back and relax and open myself up to whatever I feel, wherever the Spirit wants to take me, mm-hmm. and I just let it go. I don't really think about it a whole lot. Um, I try to stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. And the result usually is a lot better for me than than when I'm locked into a page and, and printed notes. And, and John will construct uh, cello quartets and and do those do those kinds of overdubs for for albums for people. That's some of the work he's most recently. I think he's best known for playing all four parts. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like today, I did six and, wow. and got them uploaded on the net to my client just before I drove into the studio. <laughs> wow, and that is a lot of fun. And it's a sound. It's an unbelievable sound. For for I, I don't think I've ever heard a cello sextet, but. Four is unbelievable. Right. And, yeah. and in fact, I, I cut my teeth as a young student at conservatory with a cello professor who loved to have uh, 12 cellos out on the stage. Wow. And we did concerts. I, I played Carnegie Hall when I was an undergrad and, uh-huh. and did uh, concerts all over the East Coast uh, as part of a large cello ensemble. So that sound is very personal to mm-hmm. me. You got something else for us, um, Michael? You gonna do anything else with John here in the studio? I'm I'm uh, I'm an open book. I'm game to do anything you wanna wanna try to do that I can do. Um, just name a song. Suggestions, John? <laughs> Suggestions. Gosh, eleven million songs have passed under the fingers, and you're <laughs> and suddenly what, you're drawing a blank. But as slate. you would say, what song do you have under your paws? That's, None. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. John, we work on something. John, go off. I got to go get it under my paws. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, you? Like, did you? I remember us playing "Join the Journey." That had some kind of. When there were one of the songs like your mom liked, or there was some connection with your family, one of the songs we used to play in concert. Yeah, we used to do uh, "Join the Journey" almost every every show for a, num- a number of years. Yeah. I remember that well. Sure, yeah, that has a really nice cello. You want to yeah. try? Want to yeah. go for that? Yeah, we can give her a try. I'd love sure. to hear it. "Join the Journey," Michael. You'll move the piano here in the studio, and John Catching's on cello. All right, ready? One, two, three. And 
for those who obey. Very nice. Great to have John back playing with uh, Michael Card here, Joy in the Journey. Uh, John, you want to just keep some of those hymns rolling here for the next few minutes? We'd love to hear sure. some more. Sure, absolutely. Just uh, just to. pick some out and, and play Let's for us. Let's see. recognize that from your CD, but I don't know the title of that. Um, it has a title called Idumea, and this has to do with the uh, single meter, which has to do with the actual rhythm of the piece. But this is going way back as Isaac Watts. <laughs> <laughs> what about Poor Wayfaring Stranger? Do you have that in your head? Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, this, the, the tunes off the album, for the most part, run anywhere from four voices to sometimes eight or nine, depending upon how deep we we made the we made the pieces so the full orchestration is like yes. it's like a cello choir as yeah, opposed to yeah. just solo cello. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we hear yeah. the C D we'll hear that cello choir. Yes. Play poor Wayfaring Stranger. That's the that's the melody that Ben Johnson used to sing for for Poor Wayfaring Stranger. That was the oh, right the legit uh, a Negro spiritual melody. That's a great song, man. There's 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 so much heart in that. It's just and a breaking heart too. It's just yeah. un 
real. Yeah, that was the, when I started looking for laments. That was one of the first you know, ones that uh, spoke to me. It's the someone said that uh, the theme song for the for the white American church is he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. But the theme song for the black church is I'm a poor wayfaring stranger. Hmm. I can believe that. Yeah. Hmm. The CD that that is on, but as a cello choir, really, uh, mm-hmm. John playing uh, overdubs with himself. Beautiful sound. It's called Wayfaring Stranger. This is a um, a CD that's been hard to to get your hands on. I've got I had a couple that I got from you, but I would tell friends, you know, you got to get this CD, and well, I just have to copy mine for them. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I was doing the same thing myself. <laughs> Yeah, it's a real treasure. As I said before, there's two groups. There, there are those of us who love the hymns and feel that connection with them. But then there's a whole generation. John, I don't know if you run into this, but on the road, I'm running into whole churches that don't know Jesus, what a friend for sinners, or just right. as I am. Right. Or, and it's unbelievable. Well, as, as you know, I I'm a, uh, attend the Church of Christ here mm-hmm. in Nashville uh, with my wife and family. And... Um, we're very fortunate. Our song leader, Brandon uh, Scott Thomas, uh, incorporates. Who's a, who's a great com- writer as well. Oh right? yes, yeah, right. And, and does uh, he's with the Zoe Group, and yeah. they do they help with praise team worship in yeah. other parts of the country all the time. But he's very sensitive to that, and so mm-hmm. we get both the new things that are coming out, but we also dip back into that rich heritage. So uh, at least. I know that in that body, the young kids are getting introduced to these That's great good. songs. When some of the best new hymns I've heard are coming out of the Zoe group, and, and from uh, Brandon in particular. Mm-hmm. I was I was at uh, Pat Flynn's church. What's the, what's the other uh, big church of Christ over Hillsborough Road? Yes. And uh, they kept singing this. Where did you... Where did you get these songs? I've never heard that hymn before. Oh, it's new. You know, Brandon just wrote it. And go, oh, wow. <laughs> which is a good sign, right? Oh, it, absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. Very encouraging. Yes. Mm-hmm. We need we, the church needs to keep encouraging art across the board. Yes. Hmm. Pursue that thought for just a moment, John. We'll ask you and Michael to do one final song momentarily here. But what what do you mean that the church needs to support those in the arts? Well, I think that the um, this, it's part of the spirit. Uh, of being a Christian in, in in your walk, and that is that you are are a creation, and you are participating in the creation with with God and with our Lord. Um, that spirit should be nurtured; it should be treasured. And I think that the church needs to seek out the best writers. They need to seek out the people um, who have those gifts in place to be able to help the body. And so I, I'm, I'm all for a great relationship between artists and, and the church. Right. Well said. Good. I think we have time for you two to collaborate here on something together before we close. You want to try to do a hymn or something? I mean, sure. You do another hymn? You know, do one I know. I, I can sing. I know if I can. Pl- um, have you seen one of these, John? No, I, I haven't. Yeah. Not, not up close. But I'll tell you what, that's a very lovely instrument. Yeah, this is from Inverness, Scotland. Wow. I don't know. If we were together... Uh, we may have blown think, through Inverness at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we might have been together when this was purchased. It's, it's a bazooki. Oh, that's and, very, uh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a nice instrument. It's my new most favorite instrument. I'm I'm trying to see if I can f- find something I can actually play, and it's so simple. I think it's going to be f- the one for me. Yeah, very well, nice. Sounds great, too. Thanks. Let's see what it sounds like together with a cello, shall we? All right. Yeah. John, we'll say goodbye with this piece. Thank you for coming to the studio. Well, thank you for having me, and God bless you all. Yeah. yeah. Come thou fount of every blessing, Michael.
Beautiful. Well, that was from the archive, but uh, it's timeless, Michael. So glad that we could share it again here in the studio. Yeah, you know, I've, I don't hear John play. I used to hear him play every day, and uh, to hear his intonation is just, you know, perfect. Yeah. And uh, and and for musicians like John Catchings, you know, the heart that's behind that, the person that's behind that, I think that it comes through in his playing. He's just a mm. wonderful guy, mm. very loving. Good guy. Look back on the hour. Do you have any thoughts on where we've been, what we've talked about this hour? Well, you know, again, this idea of encouraging people to listen amidst all the confusion of uh, that COVID has created. You know, we have a lot of time now to listen, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, media and and all all different um, sources are trying to fill that that uh, that quiet with. Uh, with all kinds of noise and all kinds of yeah. fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that that's not what the Lord intends for us. We're supposed to trust Him. And in the midst of the storm, what does Jesus say? You know, no no fear. Uh, it's a more literal translation. I like no fear. Is that right? Yeah, no fear, he says, uh-huh. no fear. And um, I hope we've given, with, with the music and the, these last couple of programs, we've given you a little... A little respite in the midst of all the storm, and 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 reminding ourselves, and reminding those of you that are listening, that we can always trust. We can always trust Him. He is He has never given us a reason to not trust Him in the midst of all this. And uh, we'll be through this. We'll be through this sooner than you think. Thanks, Michael. If this time together has been valuable for you, please take a moment and pass along your comments or post a review of this podcast. You can pass along the link for this podcast to a friend. Search for Michael Card on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on Spotify. And send your comments or questions through us through our website. Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to find contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. For all of us on the team, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.